Welcome to the Multifamily Five, where industry experts provide raw information about how they are achieving success in the current market conditions. And now, your host, Dallas-based real estate broker, Mark Allen. And welcome to the Multifamily Five. It is the first recording of 2023, and I'm super excited to have Ann Hamley of First Service Solutions. Ann, how's it going? Great. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me, Mark. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. So we had you on episode 26. So some of the listeners may be familiar with you and your company. And on episode 26, we were actually talking about uh, navigating loan assumptions, which you've helped some of our clients in the past, um, both Fannie and Freddie loan assumptions, and also uh, the brain damage that comes with CMBS loan assumptions. And you've made made those uh, very seamless. So thank you for that. Um, But today, I want to focus on loan workouts and loan modifications, just given uh, that this may become uh, a little more typical in today's environment. So with that, if you want to go ahead and get started and introduce yourself and your background, um, uh, specifically, I know, I think you were with, uh, you were a CEO of a few special servicers, uh, and then share with the listeners uh, a little bit about First Service Solutions and uh, the services that you all offer. Great. Yeah. Um, well, for those of you that didn't happen to listen to um, episode 26, <laughs> I'll um, give you a two-minute background on me, and you recapped it perfectly well. I spent, but I started out my career. Um, you, you, you may not know this, but it, way back when I started out my career at a savings and loan that happened to be taken over by the RTC, and at that point, what happened is all of the commercial real estate loans we had in our portfolio for that savings and loan got securitized and put in one of the very first CMBS pools. So because of that, I wound up having, I was on the very forefront of figuring out what it means when you have a CMBS loan and what are all the things you can and can't do as a servicer. And so I was instrumental in developing industry standards for that. And and like you said, ran a lot of the large servicing shops over the course of my career Watching owners in 2000, early 2000s, I could tell that, and it became clear through a survey, the Mortgage Bankers Association eventually did, that the worst product um, an owner could experience is CMBS. And so I, I started thinking about why is that? And the more I dug into it, the more I realized it's simply because of the number of parties involved. I, I always tell an owner, if you, if you had to go to, let's say, Mark, you had to pay, we'll use something painful that everyone can relate to. April 15th, your taxes are due. You go to your bank, you ask for a, a cashier's check or a check or whatever. And they say, yeah, I'll, I'll go see if I can get approval for that, Mark. And you say, well, it's my, it's my account. Money's there. I, I just need it. You know, yeah, I know, but I have to go now to another bank to get approval and I'll let you know. And you say, well, how long will that take? Well, I, I don't, I don't know. It could be a few days, you know, but I'll get back to you. That's how frustrating it is when a borrower has a CMBS loan because the people they talk to work with and probably got the loan with are not in control anymore. So anyway, long story short, I'm sorry that took so long, but I created my firm in 05 to help owners that have CMBS debt. Now, like you said, we work on Fannie, Freddie, all kinds of debt. I have a lot of bank loans right now too. It's whenever um, whenever the owner on CMBS, it's crystal clear. It's your you as an owner will, will not talk to the decision maker. 
And it's so much more helpful to understand what those servicers will and won't do and be able to talk to the decision maker. So you need it. You need an advisor, an expediter, an advocate for CMBS and the other products benefit from it too. And I'll just stop there because that was a long answer, but I I thought it might be helpful. Yeah. So if you're in the industry, and I assume if you're listening to this interview or podcast, um, I assume that you're probably in the industry. But that being said, you're probably no stranger to, um, I guess, what's going on recently. So in 2021, a lot of owners or a lot of buyers uh, were going in with bridge debt, uh, high leverage, floating rate debt, hopefully with interest rate caps. But you know, some lenders did not require an interest rate cap. Um, so we have, uh, you know, some properties are performing better than others, but we also have this rising interest rate environment and the values of properties have dropped. So there are owners out there that are in a position, unfortunately, um, where maybe the asset is worth less, uh, than, I don't know, potentially the loan amount, um, and maybe getting pressure from not only equity, but, but the lender as well. Uh, so Anne and her team have been probably much more busy uh, just because multifamily as an asset class has performed so well. Uh, they've probably been much more busy. You know, you consider an office building uh, that may have been worth uh, or have a $50 million loan on it. And, uh, you know, maybe now today it's it's 20% occupied and they have to have discussions with the lender um, and, and hopefully uh, modify that loan uh, and potentially get rid of the prepayment penalty. I think I've heard stories about that. And I don't know if you want to speak specifically. I, I think there was uh, uh, a referral that you got from um, one of our agents. And, and uh, I think you were able to get rid of their hefty defeasance penalty um, on a CMBS loan, which uh, saved them quite a bit of money. Yeah. And uh, just to to make sure, because everyone hearing this will now say, oh, that's what I want. But the prerequisite to being able to get a waiver of your prepayment penalty, whether it's a fee or defeasance or anything else, is um, that you have to be in kind of the situation you described earlier, where the value of the property is at uh, at or below the debt. So, we're going to be lucky. In other words, the conclusion there is we'll all be lucky lender and borrower to all get out of this hole, right? Just get out, let alone a penalty. And in those cases, you can generally get the penalty waived. So yeah, that is true. Yeah, I know that's going to vary um, because a lot of, the, I mean, a lot of the multifamily owners right now, they don't have the hefty prepayment penalties. So um, yeah. let, let's just talk generally first about what what is a loan workout and then uh, restructuring the loan or a loan modification? Just high level, what is that? Yeah, what it, what it really is, is I the best way to describe it is most of these loans that we're talking about in commercial real estate these days are non-recourse, which means my property doesn't perform and it's not it's not worth what it was before. I have the option to hand it back to the lender and they can't come after me personally. So unlike your home loan, where generally they're recourse, if you wanted to hand the property back, that's fine, but you still have to pay whatever the difference is on your loan. In commercial real estate, you generally don't have to. So what that means in theory is if you as an owner are your property struggling and you're having to come out of your own pocket to make a payment or to put capital in and you know, the cash flow doesn't support those things in your property. 
And you've got other situations at hand, like I'm not sure if I can pay off at maturity or other conditions or considerations that you're going through. That's when you, what you need at the end of the day is relief from your loan, either the payments, the total debt amount or something else. So whenever you are coming out of your pocket to do something with your property, it probably means you need a modification or a workout. We kind of use restructure, modification, workout um, synonymously. They all mean you need some relief from your lender. Um, and so that's when, when you know you need relief is the minute you start coming out of your own pocket. That would be the very first clue if you didn't already have a heads up on it. And probably a good time to contact you and your company. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, absolutely. And thank you for saying that. Yeah. We give free, I think the best thing, almost everyone does this, I think at this day. So it's not a new concept, but before you engage a firm or just, or, or better yet as an owner, when you're trying to consider what you are faced with, what your options are, how you might want to move ahead. Do I want to sell the property? Do I want to, you know, whatever. It's good to get advice from people who live in that space every day and who can just give you some feedback. You can just, you can hit delete after if you don't like it, um, but it's, it's free advice. I've been in the industry now 40 years. I've seen pretty much seen it all been there, done it. I mean, honestly, it's just because that this is what I've done for so long that I encourage people to call and just get advice, right? And you get the advice. And again, you can do anything you want with it. But I think the soonest you know that there's an issue, um, you should call, call for advice. And I'm getting a lot of owners now. Uh, we talked, you, you briefly mentioned um, office. And yeah, that's, that's the hottest uh, concerning property right now, property type. And a lot of times the owners are sitting there saying, hmm, I have a lease that's expiring in a year. Uh, I don't know if they're going to renew or not or renew at the same space amount or same terms. And my loan is maturing in two years. And so because of the unstable tenant, I'm not going to be able to get refinancing. Now, it's not a problem today, but it likely will have some issues or could have some issues in the future. That's also a good time to get some advice, brainstorm, strategize with someone who does this like me. And, you know, we could probably come up with a better solution or list of your options. So that's the biggest and highest value of our firm is getting our thoughts and opinions and advice. Yeah. And I would assume that at least for the multifamily asset class, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I would assume that uh, we're, we're not quite there yet. I mean, I don't think we've really seen um, uh, seen much distress here in Dallas, Fort Worth. I, I know I've seen some in some other secondary tertiary markets uh, across the country. Uh, you're, 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 you and your team are constantly doing this for other asset classes. But um, specifically in 2020, obviously that was a time with forbearance and some of these other things, uh, where, where there was a little bit of fear of potential, uh, tenants not paying rent and, uh, you know, what are my options? So, uh, can you walk us maybe through, maybe that's a good, you know, case study, if you will, or can you kind of walk us through the process? Um, and, and maybe if not that, maybe it's something for uh, a similar example for, um, an office or retail property, but what does that process look like all the way from, you know, start to finish negotiating to finalizing uh, a loan restructuring agreement. Yeah, uh, let's talk. Let me give a couple examples, and then I can. Uh, I I thought if I could share 
the how you get it done, uh, a workout and restructure from a borrower standpoint, and then share with you what the lender looks at. I think we could, you know, uh, those would both be good views. But let's let me walk you through, like you said, so 2020, you know, March was all good. Everybody was loving everything, life. And then, you know, middle of March, COVID hits. Um, hotels were, of course, the very first property type to radically suffer and suffer severely because they all just essentially shut down overnight, you know? So those, those hit immediately multifamily, which uh, was an interesting, we worked with a lot of large multifamily owners during this time, you know, some States gave out um, the, or rolled out the what renter moratorium. So, um, so here's a bar, here's an owner of multifamily. He can't go after his tenants for not paying because of this moratorium. And yet he doesn't have the income now to pay his debt payment and his lender's not giving him any relief. So there was plenty of times where I, I heard so many owners saying, I'm, I'm just sandwiched. I'm just squished on both sides because my lender's not giving me relief. Um, and I can't collect the payment from my tenant. So they went through that period for a while. Of course, when we worked with these owners, we tried to get them some temporary relief for COVID uh, to kind of correspond with their uh, the money they weren't getting from their tenants. And so you kind of tried to hobble through that in 2020, kind of 2021. And I think for the most part, multifamily emerged from covid uh, I haven't, I'm going to say unscathed is not the right word, but they emerged from COVID on two feet. Now what it does long-term, I don't know. And I know there's a housing crisis and things that play into uh, a positive for multifamily, but I'm not a pure multifamily expert. So can't kind of give you more than that, but that's what I've seen on multifamily. I don't have a lot of defaulted struggling multifamily deals right now in our pipeline. Almost all of our struggling deals are um, our office, but you asked me another question. And if, if you don't mind, let me walk through the process of negotiating and, and finalizing ideally a loan restructuring agreement with your lenders. Is this a good time to do that? Yeah, that'd be great. Good. So I'm going to do it from two angles because I think this is this is ultimately what it takes in order to get something done. So let's say you're a multifamily owner, uh, investor, whatever, you're on this call and you're listening. Okay, so what the first thing is you and you've got a property that you're having to, let's say, come out of pocket uh, to make payments on or uh, you just had a broker opinion of value done and the value of the property is less than your debt, things like that. Uh, I know you said you had had a few of those lately, Mark. So I just use that as an example. But if you know you have a problem, all right, with your loan, the very first thing you need to do is develop a clear prediction of the future. And you're probably saying, oh, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard because who knows about the future? And that is true, but you, it's either you do it or the lender's going to do it and theirs won't be in your favor. So you have to say, what's my property worth today? What will it be worth in the next few years? What capital is required to get through stabilization? And you need to put all that into a plan, a written plan, including how much money you're willing to contribute toward, toward the issue. And then you submit that plan 
to the lender. And generally included in that is quite a bit of lender relief that they that you're asking them to give you. Maybe you're looking for them to give you time. You know, maybe your loan matures next year and you just need time. But you submit your proposal. Um, you have to be willing to, you have to know when you submit it, there will be negotiation. They'll never, ever take your first proposal, but you need to make sure it's well thought out, it's written, et cetera. Now, let me, so so that's the owner. Now, I'm on the lender side, and that's where I spent a bulk of my years, right? So I'm on the servicer lender side, and let me give you what happens on the servicer's perspective. So number one, a loan gets transferred to them. They find out, you know, you get to the special assets group at a bank, you get to special servicing, whatever. You're now in front of them. What they do is they go through a process where they figure out the value of your property, what it is today, what they think it'll be worth in the future, what capital is required to go into it. So doing all the same kind of analysis. And then they're running out a model that's going to tell them if I hold the property, their only options are hold it and sell it by three years, foreclose, sell it immediately, uh, or work something out with the borrower. That's it. They can't hold it longer than three years per the IRS. So their whole future analysis is based on them foreclosing, them putting capital in and all that. All right. You as an owner have to submit something to them. That is better than what they can do on their own. And that is that is the way it gets done. The servicer has to pick the highest recovery they can predict. And the borrower has to submit an offer at the end of the day or agree to an offer that gets them better return than they could get on their own. And that's what it's all about, folks, all of it. And where, where I think all the negotiations fall apart is a couple couple ways. One is often owners are, uh, and I get it, are, are emotionally attached to the property. Their father built it. They built it. Um, it's been in their family forever. It's, I don't know, whatever reason it's, they're just super attached to it. And that makes it near impossible to negotiate with a lender uh, where the lender has no emotions in it. Right. So, that's sometimes where things fall apart. And the other is when you don't, as a borrower and owner, you don't really understand or hear what the lender's trying to accomplish. And, and you have to hear them understand that in order to make an offer that beats that. And that's where an advocate like First Service Solutions comes into play because we know what they're thinking. I've been, you know, been there, done that for a long time, know exactly what they're faced with and can help an owner actually get a plan developed that's better than what a servicer could do on their own. That's a long explanation, but that's it in a nutshell. I hope that, you know, that was helpful for people, Mark. Um, I'll hand it back to you for a minute. No, that's great. Um, I was going to ask, are, are there any differences just knowing that uh, a lot of the bridge loans that were taken in 2021 and early 2022 were debt funds that went out in the CLO market? Um, so are there any differences, I guess, dealing, uh, and I don't know, with the process or nuances or whatever the case may be, dealing with those lenders versus, you know, I don't know, Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, special servicers or CMBS or whatever the case may be, or even a, a local bank? Yeah, great question. And and I I think what I what I've concluded and this is my opinion 
And I've concluded this after about the last couple of years, the CLOs, and we are seeing a lot more CLOs, the CLOs on a day-to-day basis, everything I just described about a restructure is the same on a day-to-day basis for an owner, whether you have a CLO, a Freddie or Fannie loan, a CMBS loan, or a Fannie Freddie CMBS loan, there's all those, the, the process and the, the thinking and the obligations of the lender and servicer are all the same, all the same. It works the same. You start with master, you go to special, but CLO on CMBS, you're dealing with a whole bond full of investors. There's a whole bunch of them. Many you can't even identify. And yes, one has the right to make the decision, but there's a ton of people a ton of uh, bondholders involved. If you've got a Fannie securitization, at the end of the day, Fannie May is the one that can really make the decision. If you have a CLO that was originated by, uh, I heard one recently, What? Uh, well, I can't think of the name, but you had one done recently by a company, then ReadyCap, I think was this one. Then later on, when you're facing an issue, ReadyCap will ultimately have some role in the decision-making. But the process starts all the same. So net, 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 it's behind the scenes where there's a difference. It really shouldn't be any different for from an owner's perspective. Okay, that's good to know. Uh, what about any tips? Do you have any tips for owners? And I know, obviously, you said reach out early, get advice um, from you and your team. Uh, but what, you know, anything not to do or anything to do, like, for example, maybe not to do, like just throw your hands up in the air and, uh, you know, just completely disappear and not be, you know, not communicate with the lender or service or something like that. I don't know. A- any tips for any owners? Yeah, well, think of it this way. So um, this is this is one of the first, there's so many tips my head is kind of spinning, but but one of them to think about is, when I get ready to do my taxes on April 15th, I, well, I don't get, I don't start them then, but when I get ready to do my taxes, I have a couple choices. One is I can either figure it out on my own, get TurboTax or whatever, um, you know, read the tax code, figure out what I'm doing and, and do it myself and get one result. Or I can hire an accounting firm that does this every day and I get a better outcome. No question. First, First thing, first tip for an owner is unless you've been in these servicers deep for a long period of time, don't do it on your own. It's not a fair playing field. And that's why I left my corporate job and created this firm. It's so it's, I don't mean to make the sales. It's not that, but you need someone to help you through it, just like I would for my taxes. I mean, I mean we're all smart people and and a lot of people tend to think, well, I, I can do it myself. But how hard can it be? I'm used to negotiating with banks where I had a relationship and I call you up, Mark, because you were my lender and we could work something out. But there, very little lending is like that today. And even if it is a relationship bank, you'll find when you get in the special assets group, the relationship's not as important as it used to be. So you almost always need help. Number one, um, I'd say that's the number one tip. Number two Come as early as you can possibly see the problem down the road and get advice. And number three, know that you're going to have to come with something, some kind of new money. And and that's really probably the mm, three tips I would give for today. 
Okay, that's good. Uh, last question: What's the typical process if, uh, a, like, if a workout cannot be completed and they're going to foreclose on the the lenders going to foreclose on the property? Uh, what's what's that process look like? Especially, I mean, I know it probably differs if you've got CMBS and you've got multiple servicers versus you know Fannie Mae, so on and so forth. But you know, speaking speaking more to multifamily, uh, assuming there's a bridge debt, maybe a ready cap, um, you know, with CLO in the background, uh, or, or you know, maybe Fannie or Freddie. Yeah, and so I think the the, the way to answer that would be. Uh, and let me start at a different point because I think it makes my point a little clearer. So let's say I'm working with a multifamily owner and let's say, for instance, you did a broker opinion of value and the value of their property is less than the debt. Let's just use that as a starting point. And I'm now negotiating for them to get some relief. Maybe it's in the form of a discounted payoff or something, right? And the servicer unfortunately has a different value in their head that they got from an appraisal. And it shows mm, that there's equity in the property. So they're not going to do, they're not going to give relief to the owner, yet the owner absolutely knows that the value is less than the debt. So the owner concludes, okay, you know what, we're not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put new money after bad. So I want to hand it back. So I, I purposely, I consciously as an owner am deciding they can have it, right? In that case, if your cash flow is not sufficient to pay all your expenses and your payment really, but all your expenses, sometimes as an owner, you say, hey, lender, please put a receiver in, take this away from me as soon as possible. But you can go through friendly foreclosures like that, and that and that's based on borrowers' conclusion that that's what they are willing to do. Um, those are generally, you know, a few months of kind of decent. I say want to say friendly. I don't know if that's the right word, but amicable kind of negotiations. Um, the worst case is if you, as an owner, are really let's say there is equity here or something and you're, you're really fighting to retain the property. You really want to retain it. And, and you, you're getting foreclosed on. I think what I'd say there is, and this is, this is kind of where people don't understand. There's a deal to be done there with the servicer. You don't have to let them foreclose. If you really want to hold on to the property, there are ways to get that done. So I really think an owner has ultimately, if they get the right help in making the decision, they should only ever lose a property they don't want to keep. And I, I think well, I could call us. A, at, yeah. Then call us at GREA. We could also help them accident. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's right. But point is that they, that they should not. There should not be a situation where you, as an owner, want to retain your property and are willing to accept help and hear feedback and lose the property. Usually the people that lose their property through foreclosure that they don't want where they don't want to lose the property is when they're not taking or hearing anyone's feedback or advice. They're just fighting for what they think is right and they're not listening. And so deal doesn't get done and then they lose the property. Yeah. Also heard a lot of stories um, through the Great Recession where owners uh, were, were doing, you know, were fighting, but also uh, n- not 
you know, I guess taking the best care of their property. Um, and maybe some of those bad boy carve outs were triggered and it was hard to hold up in, in court, but if they were doing everything they could to try to, you know, uh, enhance the performance, I guess maybe is the right way to say, um, mm-hmm. then typically those, you could argue in court that those bad boy carve outs, uh, wouldn't be triggered. Yeah. You know, in my whole, you know, 40 years of doing CMBS and being in this business, you know, I, I think I know of very, very few times where the servicers even go after recourse and they're pretty blatant things. There are times where they do, but I think an owner rightly so has a fear and they should because they, they could <laughs> that a, a lender is going to look at all your carve out violations and find a way. If you slant your head a little to the left or over here, I can find ways to make it through. And therefore I'm going to come after you on that. That's not really what lenders are doing though. So it's generally has to be pretty blatant before they'll go, you know, before they'll really enforce it. So, okay. Well, something else we didn't hit on, uh, loan modifications or loan workouts, uh, loan assumptions, but you can also, uh, help borrowers in negotiating loan documents. And that, that, uh, um, that's just generally right. Whether it's banks, CMBS, Fannie, Freddie, so on and so forth. Right. Hundred percent, and thank you for bringing that up. And the, and you might think, well, I got a lawyer who does that, and that you you'll still need the lawyer because I'm not a lawyer. But what I do is I take all of these daily issues that I see arise with an owner. Um, maybe as an example, uh, if you lose a tenant, you go into cash sweep. Lender keeps all your cash. You replace the tenant. You get out of cash sweep, right? But the wording is if you replace the tenant, the tenant has to replace all the space. Let's say this new tenant wants all but five square feet. I've literally seen things like that. Well, then, then you didn't cure it and then you can't get out of cash sweep. So you put words like substantially all. <laughs> and I, I find many things that daily unknowingly have caused lots of people a lot of angst. And I put those changes in your loan docs so that you aren't signing up for one that's going to later on give you the same angst anyway. So yeah, I do review it. It takes me, you know, a day or two to review it. It's a very, very small fee and, uh, you know, always happy to do that. And I'm, I'm given the business view, not, not legal view. Yeah. And I, I guess it really depends on the attorney, but I've seen a lot of attorneys just look at the, the language, not the actual content. So, um, mm-hmm. and I know a lot of mortgage brokers too will help in that sense too, but, uh, um, seems like, you know, your experience is much different than both. So, uh, that, that could be really valuable. Anyways, just wanted to hit on that before we wrapped up, but, and what's the best way for any of the listeners to reach out to either you or your team, uh, learn more about your services and, uh, and utilize your services. Yeah. Well, we have a, a main line, all gifts. So a phone call or an email to me. So the main line is 817-756-7227. My website uh, for first service solutions is is pretty easy. It's, you know, I I guess you don't need to say the W's anymore, but it's 1-S-T-S-S-S. So 1-S-T like first and then three S's, samsamsam.com. That's it. My email address is a hambly at and the same address as the as the website. So um, look forward to, you know, talking to anybody that way. So hopefully they can reach us, somebody uh, that way. And thank you for awesome. asking that. Yeah. 
Yeah. And thanks so much for your time. Uh, learn a lot about this with loan workouts and um, look forward to having you in the office here soon. Would love to have you come in and uh, reconnect with the team. It's been a couple of years since we've last done that. So again, We'd thanks for to. your time and, and thanks Great. for all your help. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to be on your podcast.